We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Away we go, episode 31 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, April 2nd, 2021, the day after a complete debacle of a day for D.C. area sports. I know it's Friday. I know you want to go into the weekend feeling good about things, and you still can, but there's no other way to say this. Thursday was a disaster. April 1st, 2021 does not go down as one of the great days in D.C. sports history. Nationals-Mets on opening night postponed as we have at least two more Nats players who've tested positive for COVID-19, probably three more players, and we have no idea when the Nats will actually begin their season. The Capitals, they got embarrassed 
at the New York Islanders, 8-4. The Wizards, they got embarrassed at the worst team in the Eastern Conference, the Detroit Pistons, 120-91. And if you're an Orioles fan, they, like the Nats, didn't play on opening day. Orioles at Boston postponed due to rain. They'll try again on Friday afternoon, a 2-10 first pitch. Like I said, not a good day, as Steve Spurrier once said. Not very good. No, Thursday was not very good. But hey, we are together again, and that's a good thing. Welcome aboard to another installment of the Al Galdi podcast, on which I will get into the latest on the Nats situation, as well as those hideous losses for the Capitals and Wizards on Thursday night, but also on the show, a ton on the Washington football team. Ron Rivera speaking at length on Thursday for the first time since free agency started. First press conference for Ron since March 10th. He got asked a ton about Ryan Fitzpatrick and the quarterback situation. We'll deal with all of that in addition to Ron on Curtis Samuel, Adam Humphreys, William Jackson III, Brandon Sheriff, the new look front office, Dan Snyder, and much, much more. So very much looking forward to that. It will not be all gloom and doom on this episode 31. So by the way, guess who I interviewed on Thursday? Anthony Fauci. Yes, that Anthony Fauci, as opposed to the other Anthony Fauci. Is there another Anthony Fauci? Not not that I'm aware of. But anyway, we had Fauci on the Nats Chat podcast that I do with Mark Zuckerman And this had been previously scheduled, but in an incredible stroke of luck, the the interview happens on the day on which the Nats opening game is postponed due to a COVID-19 problem. I wish I could say the Nats game got postponed and I just called up Fauci, I hit him up, and he immediately agreed to come on, but that that was not quite uh, how it worked out. But anyway, uh, you can listen to the interview in its entirety on the latest installment of the Nats Chat podcast which is already out. I'm going to play for you a brief portion of the interview when I talk about what's going on with the Nats. Uh, no, I did not ask Fauci about Trump. Uh, I did not do Fauci like Rand Paul does Fauci. Have you ever watched that, by the way, when Rand Paul goes at it with Fauci when Fauci is before Congress? And Fauci keeps his cool, but Rand Paul just hammers Fauci uh, whenever they're at it there in Congress. Uh, Paul just kills Fauci. I, I did not do that. I, I was nice. I played nice. Uh, Fauci was very nice. Fauci's a big Nats fan, so we talked a lot about that. Uh, the interview was, no, not about politics or who said what when or anything like that. I did, though, ask Fauci about whether the Nats should be allowed to have more than 5,000 fans per game at Nationals Park, as the Nats want to have. And also asked Fauci about the job that pro sports have done uh, in this country during the pandemic. I've talked about this on the podcast. What I believe has been a great job that many people, for whatever reason, have not wanted to highlight. So we got into that and a lot more uh, with the doctor. But, you know, I was thinking about this. Is Fauci the most famous fan of a DC team that we have? Like, in other words, is there a celebrity fan of one of our teams more famous right now than Fauci? Like, you think about the most famous fans of the Washington football team. You have Kevin Durant. You have Dale Earnhardt Jr. You have Matthew McConaughey. There are others. But would you say that any of them, especially right now, are more famous than Fauci? Do the Wizards or Capitals have a celebrity fan more famous than Fauci? Do the Wizards have any fans left? The damn Washington Wizards! Yes, especially last night. Anyway, you tell me what you think. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. You can tweet me 
at Al Galdi. Got some great tweets on Thursday off our conversation about Masson's app having still uh, not been put out there. Got this tweet from Phil. Conspiracy theory for you. Masson falsified the Nats COVID-19 positives to delay the start of the season so they can get their new app out in time. Tweet from James Lacey. COVID and rain just bought Masson an extra day to get their app ready. Let's see how they use it. Uh, also added James, uh, keep the intro song. Thank you, James. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. Uh, if there was an outlet or an entity that wasn't displeased by two more nationals testing positive for COVID-19, that wasn't displeased by Orioles at the Red Sox being postponed due to the rain, it probably was Masson. A uh, little bit of extra time uh, to get the old appy app uh, up and running there. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, the Al Galdi podcast, still top 40 in the country on Apple Podcasts in the U.S. football category. Up two spots to number 36 as of early Friday morning. The momentum refuses to stop, so thank you for the continued support. Subscribe, rate, review, spread the word about the podcast. This is your D.C. Sports Express. Always know, every weekday, Monday through Friday, out by 5 a.m., I am here for you, just like you've been there for me. All right, I'm going to spend a lot of time on all that Ron Rivera, Don Ron had to say on Thursday. But first, the latest in the Nationals' COVID-19 situation. So when it came to the Nats, Caps, Wiz, and Doze on Thursday, a total zero of a day. Zero, just like the commission that our guy John Granlund is charging right now. That's right, zero commission. John G. with Real Broker will sell your home for free. That's right, for free. The thing that has been such a turnoff to so many of us for so long, outrageous commissions in real estate, they're going bye-bye. John Granlund is changing the game, and John Granlund is selling your home for free, and there's no catch. From the moment you dial John's number to the last page of the paperwork signed, he is there. He handles everything. Professional photography, detailed market analysis, a huge syndication network, and so much more to make sure you're not hunting for buyers from month after month. When John finds you an offer for, say, $500,000, that fifteen grand that you would normally pay to your listing agent stays right in your pocket, and then John Grandlin helps you find your next home, and everyone feels right at home. Expansive services at the lowest commission possible, zero. Yes, zero commission, and there's no catch. John does all the work. He gets the job done. This is game-changing. To find out more about this program, to find your home's value, visit John G. Sells for Free. Dot com. That's John G. Sells for free. Dot com. Or you can call John Grandland. Tell him Al Galdi sent you. 703-537-6747. That's 703-537-6747. And tell him you want what you heard about on the Al Galdi podcast. Zero commission. John Grandland is changing the way real estate is done in the DMV. So you can't make this stuff up. On an opening day on which the Nationals game is postponed due to a COVID-19 issue, multiple former Nationals killed it. Michael A. Taylor homered for Kansas City, as Drupal Cabrera homered for Arizona, Adam Eaton homered for the Chicago White Sox. I guess if your team isn't going to play, the next best thing is former players on your team doing well. So long as those guys doing well doesn't harm your team indirectly by those players doing well for teams that your team is trying to compete with. But anyway, that was the kind of opening day it ended up being for the Nationals. There was no game 
as the Nats COVID-19 problem became an even bigger problem. So let's kind of just go through the timeline here of what's transpired over the last few days, because it's very easy to become confused by all this. It is tedious. It is multi-layered. It is complicated. Anyway, on Wednesday, Mike Rizzo in a Zoom press conference announced that a Nats player had tested positive for COVID-19 and that the Nats were set to be without five players and one staff member for their season opening game against the Mets at Nationals Park on Thursday night. The killer aspect of this, as we talked about on Thursday's podcast, was that the round of testing that had produced the positive test occurred on Monday morning, shortly before the Nats' final exhibition game. The Nats, though, did not receive word of the positive test until early on the morning of Wednesday, after the team had flown on a chartered flight from Florida to the Washington, D.C. area. Four other players and a staff member were deemed close contacts of the player who tested positive. All six people were made to quarantine. The Nats underwent more COVID-19 testing on Wednesday. Then came the events of Thursday. The Nats announced that the game against the Mets for Thursday night had been postponed due to, quote, ongoing contact tracing involving members of the Nationals organization, end quote, and that, quote, out of an abundance of caution, end quote, boy, have we gotten used to that phrase over the last year, the game would not be made up on Friday. Then, late Thursday afternoon, we had a joint Zoom press conference, Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, Rizzo announcing that two more Nats players had tested positive for COVID-19 and that another player was likely positive. So we know for sure, no Nats game on Friday. It certainly is feeling like there won't be a Nats game Saturday and maybe not even Sunday. Now, we don't know that with certainty. We'll see. But the way this worked in similar situations last season, you ended up not playing for multiple days. And, you know, it was more like, hey, let's do things conservatively, figure out where we're at for sure, and then we can maybe start getting back to playing games. Or in this case for the Nationals, begin with playing games. Now, we still don't know who these players are for the Nats who have tested positive for COVID-19. Because the Nats have yet to play a game, they have not yet put out a season opening roster. Had that happened, we'd have a sense on, okay, like this is the guy who tested positive. That's another guy who tested positive. We still don't know. So that's a big part of this, right? Like, who are we talking about as having tested positive for COVID-19? These three definite positives, this other likely positive, like are we talking, you know, Juan Soto, Trey Turner, Victor Robles, and Josh Bell? Are we talking, you know, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Tanner Rainey, Brad Hand? Like, who are we talking about here? Is it more just, you know, bench guys? Like, we have no clue who these people are. That's clearly a significant part of this whole thing. Uh, Rizzo on Thursday did say that one player had a fever, but that the other players up until that point were asymptomatic. Um, there are the three guys who tested positive and then the one guy who's considered a likely positive. So all four of those people officially quarantining per MLB protocols. What cracked me up though from the Rizzo Davy joint presser on Thursday was Rizzo saying that everyone on the Nats right now is in quarantine because everyone on the Nats right now is in Mike Rizzo mandated quarantine. So only four players technically officially had to be quarantining, but Ninja Mike is making it so that everyone is quarantining right now so that the Nats can get their arms around this mess and get to playing baseball games in 2021. I love it. I love it. That's a leader right there. That's a guy saying, I don't care what the MLB protocols say. This is what you're going to do because you play for my organization 
And this is how we're going to plow through this thing. So bravo, Ninja Mike Rizzo, for making that happen. And I love that phrase, (laughs) Mike Rizzo mandated quarantine. Now, you perhaps have wondered about this. I know I have. How did this happen? How is it that the Nats went through all of spring training with nobody testing positive, and then in testing that was conducted on the morning of the final exhibition game, somebody comes up positive, and that's the thing that has started this entire situation. Did the Nationals have a player break protocols? Did the Nats have someone get sloppy? Someone going maskless when he shouldn't have gone maskless, you know? Maybe someone going to a birthday party with strippers without a mask when he shouldn't have been at a birthday party with strippers without a mask. Maybe Dwayne Haskins started hanging out with some of the Nationals players. I don't know. But Rizzo did say on Thursday that he has the, quote, utmost confidence, end quote, that the first Nationals player who tested positive for COVID-19 did not do so due to having violated protocols. And look, we all know that that can happen. Like you can do everything right and still contract this virus. So to net things out, we still don't know who on the Nats has tested positive for COVID-19. We still don't know how many of the Nats have contracted COVID-19. We have no idea when the Nats will actually play a game to begin their 2021 season. This whole situation is a mess and so reminiscent of how the Nats had to start their 2020 season, for which Juan Soto, remember, missed the first seven games for what turned out to be, uh, we think, with near certainty, a false positive COVID-19 result. What the Nats are dealing with certainly does not seem to be a false positive situation now that multiple people have ended up testing positive. And the Nationals cannot get vaccinated soon enough, okay? I know everyone's got a different opinion on the vaccines, and that's fine. But understand, in this baseball season, there is a major competitive advantage to your players getting vaccinated. If you get to an 85% threshold of your traveling party being vaccinated, you are able to relax on the protocols. To say nothing of, you have such a better chance of avoiding getting the virus, right? And of avoiding having guys testing positive and having to miss time. But I think that is such a sneaky key to this 2021 season. Now that we have these vaccines, which teams will be most aggressive in getting vaccinated? And obviously, the aggression with which you can approach getting vaccinated has to do with the availability of vaccines where you're at. So that's a wild card in all this, right? Because vaccines may be available to one extent in one part of the country, but not nearly as available in another part of the country. So you got to factor that into the equation. But understand, major league teams were told on Monday that MLB and the MLB Players Association had agreed to relax certain health and safety protocols for this season for fully vaccinated Tier 1 individuals and for clubs on which 85% of Tier 1 individuals had been fully vaccinated. And again, Tier 1 individuals is simply a fancy way of saying, you know, players, coaches, trainers, some front office members, and other staffers. The vaccines obviously are out there. And to put it very cold-heartedly, forget about health Forget about the greater good. Just from purely a wins and losses standpoint, you want to do well in 2021 in Major League Baseball, get your team vaccinated so you don't have to deal with what the Nats clearly are dealing with here right now. And it's going to be even worse if you start playing games and it turns out the guys who tested positive were a bunch of key guys and you begin the season by playing games without those key guys. I will say it again. This pandemic, which should have never happened, cannot end soon enough. Here was part of my conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci 
on the Nats Chat Podcast. It's really incredible how this worked out. You coming on with us the day on which the Nats season opener is postponed due to a COVID-19 issue within the team. I guess it's a sign that as much as we're coming out of the pandemic, we're still not where we need to be. We're not. Unfortunately, we're not. We still have, you know, the last count throughout the country, Al, there was like 63,000 new cases. That's a very high baseline level. We've got to get that level down much, much lower. And that's the reason why we're so enthusiastic about getting people vaccinated. You know, we're getting 3 million people a day vaccinated. we got to keep that up every single day. And I'll guarantee you, if we do that and just hold off on pulling back on some of the mitigation strategies and just stick with it for a while, I think we're going to do well this spring and this summer in the baseball season. Yeah, so that was part of my conversation with Dr. Anthony Fauci on the Nats Chat podcast. I cannot wait until we have packed crowds at stadiums across this country. This pandemic cannot end soon enough. We are all sick of it. We are all completely fatigued with it. The time has long since passed for this thing to go bye-bye. We are getting out of it, but the end cannot come soon enough. Something else that's ending, and this is a much happier item, the tournament. 68 teams now down to four. The final four going down on Saturday evening at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. It will be Baylor-Houston, followed by Gonzaga-UCLA. Who do you like? It's real simple. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. That's simple. Just pick a winner for one of the final four games on Saturday. Put down a dollar. Your team wins. You get $100. Turning $1 into $100, that's 100 to 1 odds. You can make that happen with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. Again, all it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning on Saturday. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook, which, by the way, offers more than just college hoops. DraftKings Sportsbook offers daily odds boost to pro basketball, hockey, golf, and more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So how do you get this deal, turning $1 into $100? It's real simple. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use this promo code, GALDI, when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choice pulls off the win on Saturday. Just pick a team you like to win, put down a dollar, you win $100. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and enter the promo code GALDI. That's code GALDI to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. And now to the Washington football team. Rod Rivera speaking on Thursday for 30 plus minutes, speaking for the first time since free agency started. And of course, no move by Washington in free agency has been a bigger deal, not in terms of the money, but certainly in terms of the meaning, than Washington signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. Remember, we had the back-to-back-to-back nights of late night with Ron Rivera. One splash signing after another. Monday night, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tuesday night, William Jackson III. Wednesday night, Curtis Samuel. But the Fitzpatrick signing certainly has been the one that's been talked about the most. Now, 
With Fitzpatrick, one of the interesting items that came out the night on which the Fitzpatrick news broke, so this was Monday night, March 15th, that was the first day of the NFL's legal tampering period, was ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter reporting that Fitzpatrick was expected to head to Washington's training camp as the starter with competition from Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen. So that was kind of ambiguous, right? It was like, is there going to be a competition or was it predetermined that Fitzpatrick would be Washington's QB1 in 2021? The first thing that Ron got asked on Thursday, is Ryan Fitzpatrick Washington's starting quarterback for this upcoming season? Well, he's going to come in as the uh, as the number one, but there will be a competition. I mean, we're, we want to play the best football player, obviously. Uh, it gives us the best opportunity to win. We feel very comfortable, very confident in the guys that we have. Uh, Ryan gives us a completely different type of football player, and uh, we're excited about who we can become as a football team. All right, no problem with that answer. Uh, assuming that's the truth, and you never know with coaches, right? They lie all the time, but... If that, in fact, is the case that, yeah, Fitzpatrick comes in as the number one, but there's going to be a competition, I'm totally fine with that. I want an open, honest, good-faith quarterback competition. I do not want what we had last summer when Dwayne Haskins, essentially, was handed the job. I want it as Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke versus Kyle Allen, and may the best man win. And if the quarterback situation changes between now and then, i.e. if Washington drafts a guy, then obviously that guy is a part of the mix. But I don't want anyone being predetermined as the QB1. I want whoever starts week one to have earned that spot. No one in this mix is great enough, qualified enough to where you just say, okay, that guy has to be the starter, point blank, period. Now, do I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is the odds-on favorite to be the QB1? Yes, I do, okay? And Ron Rivera since he said that in saying Fitzpatrick is coming in as the number one, but I don't think it does anyone any good to just say, well, Fitzpatrick's the guy, and sorry, Taylor, sorry, Kyle, that's short-sighted. I don't think that does you any good. And remember, you know, whatever you want to say about Heineke and Allen, it was Heineke who authored the single best performance by a Washington quarterback in the 2020 season with what Taylor did in that playoff loss to Tampa Bay. And it was Kyle Allen who was by miles, statistically, the best quarterback for Washington in that 2020 regular season. There are all kinds of reasons to be concerned with each guy, to not have faith that either guy will ever be truly, you know, a strong quarterback option for a team. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't see what you have in each guy, especially off what we did see from those guys, albeit in limited sample sizes, in 2020. And I'll say this too, going back to that Schefter report, the night on which the Ryan Fitzpatrick to Washington news broke, Schefter reported exactly what Ron Rivera said yesterday. Fitzpatrick expected to head to Washington's training camp as a starter with competition from Heineke and Allen. So does that tell you, right, who the source was? Like clearly, Ron told Schefter that on Monday night. Something to keep in mind, the next time Schefter has something on the Washington football team. He's got a relationship with Ron Rivera. I I think it's crystal clear now, right, that Ron told Schefter that the night on which the Fitzpatrick news broke. So the next time Schefter has something, just keep that in mind. There's a pretty good chance it's coming from Ron, or at the very least, like someone close to Ron, you know, someone on the inside who knows exactly what the deal is, because Schefter nailed it with what he put out there the night on which the Fitzpatrick news broke. Ron, on Thursday, on a quarterback competition being important to have. It is, but, but I I do think, you know, for the most part, competition does create the, uh, the, 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 the opportunity to have, um, guys go out there and, and really 
try to put it all, all out on the line. You know, as, as I said last year, um, you know, one of the mistakes I made obviously was, um, I didn't have the true competition. You know, I, I felt going in, uh, the idea was to give, uh, Dwayne as many reps as possible to get him ready to play. Um, you know, this time I, 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 I know who we have as the starter, uh, but he's going to go in and he's going to compete with everybody else. And, and like I said, I want to play the guy that's going to give us the best opportunity to, to win, the best opportunity to develop and grow as a football team. Yeah. So there was Ron again admitting that he made a mistake in essentially handing the job to Dwayne Haskins last summer, not having a true competition. And my assumption when we had that was, well, they must really believe in Dwayne and they must really not think that much of Kyle Allen to just have Dwayne take all of the first team reps at training camp. Because this stuff of they couldn't have a competition because of the pandemic, because of the different training camp, I never bought into that. You could have had a competition. You can do anything you want in these practices. And they didn't do that. And that's one of the reasons why when People have tried to make Dwayne Haskins out to be a victim, okay? Not to rehash the whole Haskins saga, but it's just ridiculous to me. He got handed the QB1 spot going into 2020. He got handed every first-team rep in training camp last summer. This thing of, like, he was set up to fail, I I could not stand it when people would say, oh, they set up Dwayne to fail. The fix was in. What fix? They gave him every first-team rep in training camp last year. He blew it. He blew it. And remember. He didn't blow it so much with his play, early in the season anyway, as he did with his behind-the-scenes behavior, his work ethic, showing up late to meetings, not putting in the time, not behaving as a QB1 is supposed to behave. Like I said with Dwayne, he talked the part, he didn't act the part. There was a real lack of authenticity with Dwayne Haskins. There was a real turnoff as time went on. But yeah, man, that just reminded me of all that when Ron mentioned that on Thursday. They gave Dwayne as many reps as possible. They did what they could to get this guy ready to go. The performance was mixed to poor, and that in conjunction with the bad behavior behind the scenes turned Ron off entirely to Dwayne Haskins. And then circumstances were such, right, that he got another opportunity late in the season, and he was atrocious, atrocious in that game against the Carolina Panthers late in the year. All right, so what about Ryan Fitzpatrick? What does Washington have in Fitzpatrick? Well, to me, there are two things to be thinking about when it comes to Fitzpatrick and what he's bringing to the Washington football team. So number one is Fitzpatrick has demonstrated an ability to play at a high level in recent seasons. There are many knocks on Ryan Fitzpatrick, and you are not wrong to bring up those knocks. But understand, Ryan Fitzpatrick quantifiably has been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL over the last few years. I know that doesn't sound right, right? But it is. Ryan Fitzpatrick finished the 2020 season fifth in the NFL among qualified quarterbacks in ESPN's total QBR at 76.9. Among those he ranked ahead of, Drew Brees, Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, and Matthew Stafford. And I'm not saying that that means that Fitzpatrick is better than all those guys, but understand the number one stat out there when it comes to quarterback play, Ryan Fitzpatrick was fifth in the NFL in that stat last season and ranked ahead of all of those guys I just mentioned. Fitzpatrick in 2019 was eighth in the NFL in total QBR. Fitzpatrick in 2018 didn't qualify for the QBR rankings, but was first in the NFL in yards per pass attempt at 9.6. So he's bringing to Washington this recent run of high-level play. 
The other thing that Washington is getting in Ryan Fitzpatrick is a guy who plays with an aggression, the likes of which Washington has not had in a while at the quarterback position. If you view things through the prism of air yards, which is the yardage between the line of scrimmage and the target, or the yardage between the line of scrimmage and the guy who catches the pass, per the NFL's next-gen stats, the quarterbacks with the two lowest average completed air yards last regular season were Alex Smith at 3.8, Dwayne Haskins at 3.6. Yes, our team had the two lowest guys in the NFL last year in terms of lowest average completed air yards. Fitzpatrick ranked 13th in the NFL at 6.5. Fitzpatrick in the 2019 regular season was fifth in the NFL in average completed air yards, 7.1. Fitzpatrick in the 2018 regular season was first in the NFL in average completed air yards at 8.8. You want more explosive plays? You want more big plays? You want a more exciting brand of football? You want a passing game that doesn't look like it's stuck in the 1950s like we had last season? Ryan Fitzpatrick has demonstrated not just an ability to play at a high level, but a willingness to throw the football down the field. And he's done this over multiple seasons with multiple teams. Ron Rivera on Thursday on the appeal of signing Fitzpatrick. Well, veteran guy, um, a savvy veteran who's had a lot of success, who's worked with a lot of other quarterbacks, a lot of young quarterbacks, who's been in a lot of different systems. Um, also, just the fact that when you look at his numbers analytically, uh, he's actually improved in his, his, uh, his play the last couple of years too. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of positive things about having this type of guy around and, and I'm pretty excited. I really am. Um, you know, he's a guy, uh, when I was in Carolina at one time when, 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 when we had to compete against him, um, you know, you always sit there and go, God, this guy's, there's something about this guy. And so it, it's going to be intriguing for us to, to see exactly how it unfolds and how it fits with us. And did you notice in that answer one of the things that Ron Rivera brought up about Ryan Fitzpatrick? What I just brought up, the analytics. Ron, quote, just the fact that when you look at his numbers analytically, he's actually improved in his play in the last couple years, end quote. That's 100% right. You know, you can look at Ryan Fitzpatrick as the guy who used to be with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills, and you're not wrong to at least examine those years. But what always matters the most with a player is, what's he done recently? What's he been like over the last few seasons? Who is he over, say, the last three years? And who Ryan Fitzpatrick is over the last three years is one of the most productive quarterbacks in the NFL. Top 10 in total QBR each of the last two seasons. Number one in the NFL in yards per pass attempt in 2018. You shouldn't ignore those things. You know, don't get stuck on this is who the guy was in 2008 or this is who the guy was in 2014. It matters who the guy is in 2021. And especially at a position like quarterback at which we are seeing so many guys now blowing up the concept of the aging curve, right? And so many people playing well deep into their 30s, if not well into their 40s. Why can't it be that the Ryan Fitzpatrick of today is appreciably better than the Ryan Fitzpatrick of yesteryear. Now, I'm not here to tell you, like, you know, he's an elite quarterback. No, he's not. I'm not here to tell you he's a long-term fixture at quarterback for Washington. No, he's not. But I think it's very lazy to just always consider Ryan Fitzpatrick to be the guy who he was, you know, eight years ago, 10 years ago. It's like, no, who is he now? And who he has been over the last three years is, again, one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. The more you dig on Ryan Fitzpatrick, the more you do the work on Ryan Fitzpatrick, the more you do like 
Now, another thing that Ron got into there was this idea of this guy, there's something about this guy with Fitzpatrick. There's no doubt. Ryan Fitzpatrick has been beloved by his teammates. Nothing to me captured this better than what happened with Fitzpatrick on Miami last season. So in the summer of 2020, Ryan Fitzpatrick referred to himself as the placeholder for Tua Tungavailoa, right? And that was the truth, right? Dolphins had taken Tua with that number five pick in the 2020 draft. Fitzpatrick has the Dolphins at three and three, gets benched in favor of Tua, but Fitzpatrick doesn't whine, doesn't complain. And the way this guy ultimately gets talked about really was something else. The Dolphins tied in Mike Kosicki called Fitzpatrick, quote, the greatest teammate I've played with, end quote. You know, like with Alex Smith, there is a universal love for Ryan Fitzpatrick. That really is something else. But of course, unlike with Alex, you have a guy in Fitzpatrick who's throwing the football down the field. I have called Ryan Fitzpatrick bizarro world Alex. And that's what Fitzpatrick to me is in so many ways. Now, one of the more interesting nuggets about Washington signing Fitzpatrick was this. And it came to us from NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB on March 16th. Breer tweeted that after Washington struck out on Matthew Stafford, Fitzpatrick became Washington's target. So at least according to Breer, the top goal was to trade for Stafford. When that didn't happen, Washington pivoted and Fitzpatrick was the guy. So all this stuff about Sam Darnold, Marcus Mariota, uh, maybe Washington was in on those guys, but Fitzpatrick was the target after Stafford. That's what Breer said on March 16th. We know Washington went after Stafford. Uh, Washington, per multiple reports, offered at least a first-round pick and a third-round pick to Detroit for Stafford. Stafford, of course, ended up being dealt to the Rams in a deal that got the Lions back. Jared Goff, two first-round picks and a third-round pick. It is worth noting, this guy, Mike Fisher, who covers the Dallas Cowboys for SI.com, he on February 1st reported that Washington offered its 2021 first-round pick, a third-round pick, and a starting player to the Lions for Stafford. So Washington at least offered a one and a three, maybe a one, a three, and a starting player. Ron Rivera on Thursday on discussions about Fitzpatrick in the front office. Well, Ryan... Uh, was part of the conversation from the beginning. Um, you know, and, and it's no secret. Um, you know, we, we tried to do a couple things early and, you know, but always Ryan was always in that, in that conversation. Um, when, you know, the whole Stafford deal went and a couple other things happened, you know, we felt we want to get a guy in here that has the experience that can help us going forward and help us develop. Um, again, it's one of the things that I talked about last season was that it's not just about having the um, having a guy out there playing quarterback and, and, and trying to win, but also having a guy out there playing quarterback that helps everybody else develop. You know, we're still in that, we're still in that process. You know, uh, you know, one season does not say we've arrived. You know, all one season says is that we, we we're, we're learning how to play things, play and do things the right way. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the positive residuals out of last season more so than anything else is just the fact that our guys have been through it. They know what it's like. They know what it feels like. That's one of the benefits of playing a lot of young guys. But you play a lot of young guys with the right veterans in place, um, and you get an opportunity to develop and grow as a football team. And that, I think, is one of the benefits. You know, And, again, we had that last year because of Alex Smith um, running the offense for us down the stretch the way he did. We saw the development and growth of our football team. Yeah, and that issue of having a quarterback who allows those around him to grow and develop, that's come up a lot over the years with Washington because you've had play that's been so bad at various points 
that it's not just that the guy's not done well and the team has lost. It's that the guy has been so bad that you haven't been able to do your offense. You know, you haven't been able to call plays the way you want to call plays. You haven't been able to at times even get a true sense on what you have around that quarterback because he's just like non-functional. You know, we dealt with that with RG3 at various points. We dealt with that with Dwayne Haskins, certainly, in that wretched performance against the Panthers late in the 2020 season. So, you know, the notion of like you bring in a guy here who is competent and who can help those around him grow, there is value in that. Now, of course, with Ryan Fitzpatrick, there is this of, well, where exactly are you going with him? Like, what's a realistic best case scenario with Fitzpatrick in 2021? And I totally get that criticism. You know, the thing that's going to be so fascinating to track long term with all this is, did Washington make the right call here in 2021 in essentially saying, our best plan of action at quarterback for now is just signing Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's not making some massive San Francisco-like trade up in the draft. It's not making a trade for a Sam Darnold or a Marcus Mariota. It's giving Ryan Fitzpatrick, as he goes into his age 39 season, a one-year contract, you know? And we'll see. Did Washington make the right call in doing that? I also found notable in that answer we just played for you from Ron this part. It's not just about having a guy out there playing quarterback and trying to win, but also having a guy out there that helps everybody else develop. Okay, we just talked about that. We're still in that process. One season does not say we've arrived. All one season says is we're learning how to play things and do things the right way. That is an echoing of what was a major theme at Ron's last Zoom press conference, the one that he did on March 15th, where Ron was very blunt about, yeah, we won the NFC East, but it wasn't a very good division, and we still have a long ways to go. And I loved the messaging that Ron put out there in that pre-free agency Zoom press conference of, we're going to act aggressively, but we're also going to act with a recognition of, you know, it's not do or die right now. We're still building things up, and we want to build things up the right way. I do think there is definite merit to saying building things up the right way includes not trading a truckload of draft picks for a top three pick, especially if Ron and his guys don't feel like anyone beyond Trevor Lawrence and maybe Zach Wilson is a definite thing. You know, like maybe Ron and company look at guys like Justin Fields and Trey Lance and Mac Jones and just don't think that those guys are all that. You know, that's a big part of this too. Have you properly evaluated this quarterback class, and obviously time will only tell. Speaking of the draft, four weeks from today is April 30th, the day after the first round of the 2021 draft. It does remain on the table, Washington drafting a quarterback. Now, I do think signing Ryan Fitzpatrick made that less likely, but it certainly doesn't make that impossible. And I would say very much so if a quarterback falls to Washington at 19, who Washington likes, or if a quarterback falls in the first round uh, to say, you know, 14, 15, 16, who Washington really likes. Absolutely trade up to take that guy. You don't have to be done at quarterback this offseason. It just may well be that you are done. You know, we'll see. But things can change with how the draft plays out. Understand Washington football team insider John Keim of ESPN wrote in a piece that came out on March 16th that it was, quote, not out of the question that Washington could take a quarterback early in the 2021 NFL draft end quote. Ron on Thursday on if he is planning on adding more quarterbacks to the roster this offseason. Well, we'll see. Again, um, can't tell you how things are going to unfold once we get into the draft and and uh, we're going to react to what's going to happen in front of us. You know, picking where we're picking, um, you know, there's a lot of things can happen. 
you know, we, we have targets, we have ideas, we have guys that we like, but uh, that always changes just because of the fact that, uh, you know, everybody has a choice. And so you just never know what's going to happen at that point. Uh, and we'll, and like I said, we will react to what happens in front of us. Yes, react to what happens in front of you. That's what so much of the draft is about. And one more time, what this quarterback approach comes down to is, are you properly evaluating your options here? Or, you know, are you right in saying we're better off not trading for Sam Darnold than we are giving up multiple picks to get him from the Jets? That kind of a thing. Does Darnold continue to flop or does he blossom elsewhere? And we look back upon this offseason a year or two from now, we say, my God, why didn't they just trade for Darnold? They could have fixed quarterback by doing something like that. Or if let's say Trey Lance falls in the first round and you don't take him or you don't make a reasonable trade up to take him and he kills it for somebody else, we're going to say, why didn't they just trade up to take Trey Lance? That would have fixed quarterback for years to come. Are you properly evaluating the options in front of you? What about though, essentially, potentially punting on finding a franchise quarterback this offseason? Does Ron feel pressure to figure out quarterback for the long term this year? No. Uh, and I say that just because of the fact that if you put all the other pieces into place and, and now you start going forward, when that guy does show up, when that guy is in the right position, you can grab him. I went through it the other way. My first stint as a head coach in Carolina, we drafted the quarterback of the future for us in the first round. Uh, and he was lo and behold, the immediate future, um, yeah, after about, after, after the first week or first, first preseason game, um, I made him the permanent starter from that point on. And that was the quarterback of the future. At that point, we had not put all the other pieces around Cam Newton and we finally got them all together in 2015. So I've always thought, wow, you know, if, if you could do it the other way where you put, put all the other pieces around and then go out and get your quarterback, man, that might be a pretty good situation too. Um, a lot of teams did that. I've seen a lot of teams that have, have, have had things in place and then drafted their quarterback the next year. Um, this could be one of these situations where we put all the other pieces in place and a year or two from now, the right guy's there and we can make that move. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, again, you just never really know. Uh, until you get there. No, you don't. And every offseason is different. Every circumstance is different. The idea of you have to fix something in any given offseason, I think it's very dangerous. You know, this thing of you have to figure out quarterback this offseason. You don't have to do anything. What you need to do is properly evaluate the options in front of you. And if you decide that this is not the offseason to make some bold trade up in the draft, or if you decide this is not the offseason to make a trade for someone like a Sam Darnold, then you just need to be proven right on something like that. And like I've been saying, time will tell on that. It would be lovely if Ron Rivera came here and right away he drafted himself a Joe Burrow or a Trevor Lawrence, you know, some kind of a quarterback of the future. But that's not the way things were set up to be here. Now, you could say, well, they had the number two overall pick in 2020. Could have taken Justin Herbert. Yeah. And we'll see. I mean, that may be something we come to really regret. Uh, right now, I'd say it's something that we probably do regret. And I say that even though Chase Young was awesome in his rookie year, but an edge rusher is only going to do so much for you. Nothing matters more than a franchise quarterback. But, you know, th- this thing that people will bring up of like, well, fix the rest of the team now and then do quarterback later or do quarterback now and then figure everything else out later. You can do it any way you want, but you don't schedule it. You don't say, well, I'm going to do this first and then do that. It's not like running errands. We say, I- I'm going to go buy food first 
and then I'm going to go to the bank. Like, okay, fine. This isn't that. This is circumstances change, environments are different, and you have to attack when you can. When the opportunity presents itself to get yourself a franchise quarterback, you must pounce, okay? Now, if you have not seen that opportunity this offseason, then there's no need to pounce. Don't pounce on something that's not worthy of the pounce. But once you see someone worthy of a pounce, then pounce. No question about that. But you don't schedule when you go get your franchise quarterback. You wait for the right opportunity, and then you are all over it. Washington, I think pretty clearly, has not seen that opportunity this offseason, at least not yet. We're inside of a month of the NFL draft. Things could certainly change, especially the night of the first round. But for now, it certainly is looking like Ryan Fitzpatrick, Taylor Heineke, Kyle Allen. There's going to be some semblance of a competition. I hope it's a true competition and may the best man win. We now move to Ron Rivera on Thursday on what else Washington has done in free agency so far. So once the legal tampering period began, the first big news item regarding the Washington football team had to do with a defection, right? Ronald Darby bolting for Denver, getting a three-year $30 million contract, $19.5 million guaranteed. It was then the next day, the next night, as late night with Ron Rivera was in full swing, that Washington agreed on that deal with William Jackson III. Three years, $40.5 million, $26 million in guaranteed money, $16 million fully guaranteed at signing. William Jackson III was widely considered to be the best free agent corner out there in this market. Now, this was not a free agent class loaded at the cornerback position. That is true. But Jackson was the best of the bunch. And William Jackson has been a good corner. For Pro Football Focus, There are 95 corners who've played at least a 1,000 coverage snaps over the last four seasons. William Jackson's coverage grade of 82.4 is 17th overall. Kendall Fuller's coverage grade, by the way, of 82.2 is 18th overall. So you now have in that Washington secondary two of the top 20 corners in terms of PFF coverage grade over the last four seasons. If you caught my conversation with Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus on this podcast, last Friday. If you haven't caught that, I definitely would encourage you to check that out. One of the things Monson highlighted was the ridiculous 2017 that Jackson had. One of the best seasons you'll ever see a corner have. For pro football focus, Jackson in 2017 forced incompletions on an absurd 17 of the 43 pass attempts that came his way, registered a coverage grade of 90.4. So Jackson has demonstrated an ability to play at a high level at a position at which for most guys, the performance fluctuates year to year. William Jackson has been pretty consistent. He did not have a good 2019, but his 2017, 2018, and 2020, all good to very good. Now, Jackson does come to Washington with an injury history. He did miss his entire 2016 rookie season due to a torn pec. Uh, Jackson in 2020 missed two games due to two different stints in concussion protocol. And Jackson in that aforementioned bad 2019 season dealt with a shoulder injury that only cost him two games. But Jackson on March 19th at his introductory Zoom presser for Washington said that he played that entire 2019 season with a torn labrum. So you do wonder a bit about the injury history, but the guy can play. Ron Rivera on Thursday on William Jackson III. You know, we started out wanting to try and keep our own. And unfortunately, we weren't able to keep Ronald. Um, but we also had, uh, William Jackson as, as one of the guys we really liked a lot. Um, a lot of it has to do with his, his ability to, to, to take over a side, shut a side down, 
um, it, it's going to add to the things that we, we, we are currently doing and bring up some of the things that we want to do. Um, he, I think is really a, a, a tremendous corner who really has, has the skill set to, to, to say, Hey, we want to put him on their best guy or Hey, we want to put him over here and roll away from him. I mean, it gives us that kind of flexibility. Um, you know, he, he's, 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 he's a very good man co- uh, corner. And when he plays with his eyes in zone, he, he creates opportunities for himself. So, uh, this is a, this is a dynamic football player. We're, we're very, very happy to have him. Now, of course, there has been a lot with William Jackson III regarding him being a very good man corner and that perhaps not messing well with Washington's defense, which played a lot of zone coverage in 2020. Zone is something that Ron's Carolina defenses were known for. Jackson over his four seasons of actually playing for the Bengals for Pro Football Focus, man coverage grade of 78.8, zone coverage grade of 74.1. So at least for PFF, there's not that big of a difference between Jackson and man versus Jackson and zone. And also, it's not like Jack Del Rio doesn't use man coverage. He did so quite a bit during his time as Denver's defensive coordinator from 2012 through 2014. I think a lot of the zone usage that you saw in 2020 was about the personnel. And Washington felt like, okay, this is the best way to make use of the talent that we have. That's what good coaches do, right? They don't have their system and they shove their system down your throat, regardless of what you're good at. They have their system and maybe their core beliefs, but they adapt those things depending on who happens to be on the roster. Ron on Thursday on if Washington will be playing more man coverage with Jackson now on the team. Well, without getting too technical about it and telling everybody what we want to do, it gives us a little bit more opportunity to be diverse. We can change things. We don't have to be stuck on certain situations. Um, and it's funny because I, 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 you know, my first impression and watching him was that this is a, this is a pure man guy. But as I watched more tape and didn't see when he, they did play zone and the way he played it, um, especially when he played with vision, he's got his eyes back at the quarterback, but he's looking through the receiver at the same time. He knows how to put himself in position. So this, uh, to me, like I said, this is pretty exciting. Um, because it is going to allow us to do some things that we've always talked about or we've always about uh, doing uh, in our discussions last year and now into this year. Washington's pass defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric, 27th in the NFL in 2019, second in the NFL in 2020. But as improved as the pass defense was, clearly there's another level the pass defense can get to. We saw what happened in the playoff loss to Tampa Bay. We saw the extent to which Tom Brady carved up Washington in that playoff game. Hopefully, William Jackson III can take Washington's pass defense to that next level. How about the receivers? Uh, Washington, actually, after Ron's presser on Thursday, announced the signing of another free agent receiver. Washington signing this guy, DeAndre Carter, a receiver slash return man. Uh, DeAndre Carter is going into his age 28 season. He is small, but he is fast. Uh, Washington lists Carter as being 5'8 and 190 pounds, but this is a guy who in March 2015 at the Sacramento State Pro Day ran a 4.4440. So the guy can run. This is another instance of Washington acquiring speed this offseason. Carter entered the NFL with Baltimore as an undrafted rookie at a Sacramento State in 2015. He has been all over the place in the league. He just spent time with the Ravens, the Raiders, New England, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Houston, and Chicago. 34 catches over 43 career regular season games. And like I said, he has been a return man. So he's going to be an option for Washington, at least, you know, in training camp in the preseason at both punt returner and kickoff returner. Uh, DeAndre Carter, 
63 career regular season punt returns, an average of 9.35 yards on those punt returns. That's pretty good. Uh, 45 career regular season kickoff returns, an average of 21.84 yards on those returns. But of course, when it comes to receiver, uh, nothing has been bigger than Washington signing Curtis Samuel so far this offseason. Reported three-year, $34.5 million contract, $23 million guaranteed. You got Samuel, and then it was last week that you got Adam Humphreys on a one-year contract. Ron on Thursday on Samuel and Humphreys and their impacts on the offense. Well, the biggest thing that, that's going to happen is when, when you add on, uh, you know, guys like, 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 like Curtis and Adam, uh, are guys that are savvy veterans, guys that have, are making names for themselves. Um, with Curtis, the vertical attack, I think is, 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 is going to be very much a compliment to Terry's game on the outside as well. Um, then you throw Adam into the mix and Adam working underneath uh, with the tight ends is, is going to be the other compliment that we'll have. Um, you know, and then with some of the things that we do in this offense, you know, with, with, with what Scott Turner's, um, plans, you know, moving guys around. Uh, so we're not always going to be static in terms of where we line up. We are going to, we're going to be, um, I, I want to say multidimensional with the way we use players. Ah, yes. Position flex. One of our favorite phrases when it comes to Ron Rivera. Curtis Samuel certainly offers position flex. Remember, he was a running back at Ohio State. Since has obviously become a receiver over his four seasons with Carolina. Still was very effective, though, as a ball carrier. 72 carries for 478 yards and five touchdowns. That's 6.64 yards per carry. And how about how this guy just lined up all over the place? for the Panthers in 2020. 659 offensive snaps for Carolina last year for Samuel, lined up in the slot 67.5% of the time, lined up tight 12% of the time, lined up in the backfield 11.6% of the time, lined up on the outside 9% of the time. All that Perotto wire. But like, yeah, this guy can be deployed all over the place. You know, is he a receiver? Is he a running back? He's a weapon. That's the way to view a guy like Curtis Samuel. What about those positions that Washington has not yet truly addressed in free agency, especially linebacker? A bunch of linebackers came off the board quickly, right? Levante David re-signed with Tampa Bay before free agency started. Matt Milano re-signed with Buffalo before free agency started. Someone like Kyle Van Noy, who got released by Miami, ended up going back to New England. I thought Washington should have been in on Van Noy. Uh, Pretty clearly was not. And Washington, remember, has lost a linebacker in free agency. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, on the first day of the legal tampering period, agreed on a contract with Houston. Now, Washington has re-signed a linebacker in Jared Norris, but he's more of a special teams guy. Uh, Washington did sign David Mayo, unrestricted free agent linebacker. Mayo's a guy who uh, has played for, you guessed it, the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they took him in the fifth round of the 2015 draft out of Texas State. So Mayo's a guy who Ron knows well. But Mayo's also a guy who, for the Panthers, was largely a special teams guy. Now, Mayo has played a decent amount in recent seasons. Actually, in 2019 for the Giants, played in all 16 games, had a very good run defense grade that season for Pro Football Focus at 90.1, but he had a bad coverage grade that year, uh, just 48.8. But David Mayo, best case scenario, right, is a backup for you, right? He's offering depth for you. He's not here to be a starter, at least uh, we don't think. Ron, on Thursday, on where things stand at linebacker. I like the position we have uh, right now in terms of the guys, um, but we would like to replace uh, the KPL loss more so mm-hmm. than anything else. 
Um, having said that, I, 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 I do like what John Bosick brings to the table. I do like what Cole Holcomb. And, and again, last year, you guys know he's critical early on. And then as the season progressed and you saw these guys start to come together and get it, you know, you walk away feeling pretty good about, about their performance. Um, losing KPL like we did in free agency was, was a little disappointment. Uh, I would have loved to have seen him back for a second year, especially because of the growth we saw. The injury at the end of the year kind of, you know, put him, tilt him to the side a little bit. Um, and, and so it's one of those things that as we go forward, do we have the depth? So he says, do you have the depth? I would say, do you have the starters? Uh, Ron was very critical of his linebackers last season as he made mention of on Thursday. And, you know, all you've done here is added David Mayo, re-signed Jared Norris, and lost Kevin Pierre-Lewis. Um, you have Cole Holcomb. Okay, everybody likes him. You have John Bostic. He is solid, but he had a very up-and-down 2020. And I think on a good defense, John Bostic is a depth guy, not a starter. What I think is really becoming more and more likely, though, is this. Washington's not planning on playing more than two linebackers at a time in 2021. And we actually saw a lot of that in 2020. Washington, of course, like every team in the NFL, is in nickel like 70% of the time. And so the alignments you ended up seeing more often than not were 4-2-5, where it's just two linebackers out there. And as the season went on, it was Holcomb and Bostic who played. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, for all the praise that Ron has showered on him, really didn't play that much as the season went on. And as Ron alluded to, uh, KPL was injured as the season went on. I mean, understand this with Kevin Pierre-Lewis, he ultimately, for the season, ended up playing on just 48.42% of Washington's defensive snaps. Now, he did miss the three games due to a high ankle sprain late in the year. That is true. But as the season went on, it was basically two linebackers who Washington was playing, and especially with the Landon Collins situation, right? What's going to happen with Landon Collins off the great play we saw at strong safety last season from Cameron Curl? I think you're going to see a lot of three safety looks from Washington in 2021. A lot of looks with Landon Collins, Cameron Curl, and say DeShazer Everett out there. You know, maybe, you know, Jeremy Reeves will be a part of the mix as well. I, I You know, they're not going to bench Cameron Curl, nor should they. But I also don't think they're just going to bench Landon Collins. Like, I think you're going to probably see a lot of setups where you got three safeties out on the field. And you know what? You may do a lot of six defensive back looks where you got your three corners, Kendall Fuller, William Jackson, the third, and Jimmy Moreland, and also the three safeties. So, I don't get the sense that Washington feels desperate at linebacker. And I think right now what seems pretty clear is that Washington is eyeing the draft to address linebacker. And there's no doubt with that number 19 overall pick, it may not be that you can get yourself a franchise quarterback, but there are going to be some juicy linebackers available to you. No doubt about that. The kid out of Notre Dame, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromora. I mean, what he could end up being uh, if Washington gets him at number 19 for this defense. Very enticing, especially if you saw what went down at the Notre Dame Pro Day earlier this week. But yeah, man, like linebacker, we all thought, hey, this is a screaming need for Washington going into the offseason. The fact that the team has done so little at the position so far in free agency, I think says a lot about what Washington is thinking at linebacker for 2021. One more from Ron on Thursday regarding free agency. So the first big thing that Washington did this offseason in terms of free agency was franchise tagging Brandon Sheriff. Washington on March 8th announced having placed the non-exclusive franchise tag 
on share for a second straight year. He signed the one-year $18.036 million tender just a few days later on March 12th. You know where I stand on this by now. I have wanted no part of Sheriff playing for Washington under the terms of a second consecutive franchise tag tender. Now that Washington has tagged him, I want Washington to either sign Sheriff to a long-term deal or tag him and trade him. And my real concern with Washington tagging Sheriff for a second straight year has been, one, the tag disincentivizes him agreeing on a long-term deal, and two, the tag increases the likelihood of him leaving via free agency after 2021. Now that he has a guaranteed $18 million in front of him for 2021, what's the incentive for Sheriff to do a long-term deal this offseason to lessen what he's getting paid in 2021 and, you know, just kind of do the team a solid in that way? Like, no, he's going to get his $18 million guaranteed in 2021 of having gotten his $15 million guaranteed in 2020. That's $33 million over just two years for a guy who, as yes, Jay Gruden once said, is a guard. And the other one's a guard. Yes, Jay, thank you. So you're paying Sheriff $33 million over two years, and then he can just waltz into unrestricted free agency, and anytime a guy hits the open market, it becomes more likely that the guy leaves you. So you overpay the guy for two years, and then he leaves you, and you get back essentially nothing. Maybe you get back that third-round comp pick, but even that's not a guarantee because it depends on what else you do in the free agency period in which the guy ends up leaving you. So it's not good. I I don't like that Washington did this franchise tag sheriff for a second straight year. Now, if you get a long-term deal done, then it's fine. If you tag and trade sheriff, I do think it's fine. But I don't get the sense at all that Washington is looking to trade sheriff. I think Washington is either looking to do a long-term deal or just have him play for $18 million in 2021. And to that end, take a listen to Ron on Thursday on where things stand right now contractually with Brandon Sheriff. You tell me if you find this to be encouraging. Um, well, that situation hasn't changed. We, we've got Brandon signed right now. Uh, we'll see how things go as we go forward. Um, we are most certainly interested. Uh, but again, we have to wait and see what happens. We haven't talked since he signed. Okay. You encouraged by that? They haven't talked since he signed the franchise tag tender back on March 12th. Now, that doesn't mean that, like, there's some ugliness going on between the two sides or that things are contentious. Like, no, they just haven't talked. From Sheriff's perspective, I'm not sure that there's reason to talk. He's got his $18 million guaranteed for this upcoming year. Washington is locked into paying him $33 million over these last two seasons. He has the leverage. Always remember, right, the Kirk Cousins cha-cha-cha forever changed how we view franchise tags. Franchise tags, when used a certain way, especially in back-to-back years, as Washington used them with Kirky and now with Sheriff, give the player the leverage. Sheriff has the leverage here. So I don't know that he really has any motivation to get a long-term deal done. Collect your $18 million for 2021 and then see where things stand. And if Washington doesn't give you what you want, again, you are primed to be an unrestricted free agent. And you enter into the open market and let the bidding war begin, especially with the salary cap set to shoot back up after this upcoming year. I I just, you know, this thing of tagging guys in back-to-back years, can we please stop doing that, okay? Like, either sign the guy to a long-term deal or trade the guy. Point blank, period. 
Okay, and Sheriff is good, but as I've pointed out, he's been hurt a lot. You know, I think it is debatable whether you want to sign him to a long-term deal, but Washington clearly does. Ron views Sheriff as a real culture guy. So fine, he's a good guard. No one's saying that he's not. You know, I think it's just debatable whether you should ever pay a guard big money. But if you want the deal done, then you got to make it so that you get the deal done instead of overpaying the guy for two years and then the guy leaving you and you get essentially nothing back for him. And the other one's a guard. Yes, Jay, thank you. One last topic to deal with in terms of what Ron Rivera had to say on Thursday, and that is the new look front office. So Washington has this very unique setup where you have three former general managers in the front office. Marty Herney is the executive vice president of football slash player personnel. Martin Mayhew is the general manager. And Chris Polian is the director of pro personnel. All three of those guys hired this offseason. All three of those guys former GMs, Herney with Carolina, Mayhew with Detroit, Polian with Indianapolis. Also, Washington, during the introductory Zoom press conference for Herney and Mayhew, announced the promotion of this guy, Eric Stokes, to senior director of player personnel. Eric Stokes is one of the guys who reportedly was interviewed for Washington's general manager vacancy back in January. Stokes is another one of these guys who was brought here from the Panthers. Washington hired Stokes in July 2020 off him having spent five seasons with Carolina in various roles, including director of college scouting. Here was Ron on Thursday on the divvying up of responsibilities in this loaded front office. And you're going to hear Ron reference Washington's director of college personnel, Tim Gribble. Well, I will say this, you know, doing what we, what we did, um, in terms of, of, of being able to put together, um, the front office, as far as uh, the, the the personnel side of it, um, the business, uh, the football business side of it, um, I, I think is, is is very good. I like with what each guy has, each guy brings to the table. You know, Martin and Marty complement each other very, very well. Marty's a uh, he's a road warrior. He likes to be on the road. He, he likes you know being at at at, at the pro days. Um, where when you watch and, and you talk to Martin, you know Martin is is I think a little bit more of an office guy. Uh, does a lot of his work off of the tape, uh, in terms of viewing players. You know, he does go out. He does, he does hit the pro days. Um, but also having a guy, whether it's Martin or Marty in the office that handles also the business side of, of football. Um, that's, I think has been very good. And then watching how Eric Stokes has, has, has really, um, you know, grown in his position now as, as the personnel director, you know, and, and, and watching, uh, Chris Polian and, 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 and Tim Gribble work together. Uh, one is the pro and one is the call. That's been really good. I, I've been, I've been really pleased and, and, and also the work we've gotten from our scouts. Um, uh, I think everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands, you know, um, when we have these meetings, uh, when, when, when we've gotten together with the, uh, with, with, with the, um, with the top guys, you know, with, with, with Marty and Martin and, and Eric and, and, Tim and Chris, you know, it's it, it's kind of neat because uh, there's a lot of experience in those rooms. I mean, uh, each one of those guys has over 20 years in this league. So, um, yeah, we got older, uh, but I think we got um, a little more experience. And I, I I I like the fact that we have you know this type of talent in the room. So Ron Rivera needed help last season. Ron had way too much on his plate 
in 2020, especially when you consider it was his first season with the team in need of a dire cultural overhaul. While, oh, by the way, the guy is dealing with cancer, okay? So especially when it came to things like the day-to-day transactions, Ron was having to do that stuff. And it's like, that was like the last thing that Ron needed to be dealing with. You know, who is on the practice squad and who isn't? And should we claim this guy, but not that guy? And why? You know, you needed help. And so Ron has gotten it clearly this offseason with these hirings of Marty Herney, Martin Mayhew, and Chris Polian in this promotion of Eric Stokes. What you get a real sense of in that answer of is this organizational alignment that Washington has lacked for years. Now, it's early in this thing. You know, this is still the honeymoon period in many ways. So we'll see if everyone is kumbaya a year from now, two years from now. And obviously, ultimately, we'll see if all these guys make good decisions and that they put together rosters that end up winning. Because that's what, you know, it doesn't matter if people get along or not. It's like, are you making the right calls and are your teams winning games? But there's no doubt. Ron and Marty Herney go back. Ron and Eric Stokes go back. Ron and Martin Mayhew have a good relationship. Ron and Chris Polian have a good relationship. Ron brought all these people on board. And so at least for now, you've got a setup here that I think is far more conducive to Ron focusing on that which he truly was brought here to focus. And that is football, being a coach. Ron is not a personnel guy. You know, it's one thing for him to preside over football operations. It's another thing for him to conduct the day-to-day nitty-gritty of football operations. He really had zero experience in doing that. Now you've brought in a bunch of people with experience. And also to go back to that point of organizational alignment with Herney and Stokes, they're reuniting with Rob Rogers. And don't ever discount the importance of Rob Rogers. He is Washington's senior vice president of football administration. He is essentially Washington's cap guy. He's also a big analytics guy. And he's been a right-hand man for Ron Rivera since Ron came here. Rob Rogers spent 25 seasons with the Panthers, 1995 to 2019. So he uh, predated by years Ron Rivera arriving as Panthers head coach. And Ron and Rob know each other well. So Ron has got his family. Like I've said, baptism of fire. Ron has gotten rid of the people he wasn't comfortable with. And Ron has brought in the people with whom he is comfortable. The Ron army has been established. The Ron mafia has been set up. And you got Don Ron at the top But you got the various capos underneath, whether you're talking Herney or Rogers or Stokes or, of course, so many of the guys on the coaching staff, right? John Matsko, Pete Hayner, the head athletic trainer, Ryan Vermillion, et cetera. One more from Ron, and we got this on Thursday from him, and that was praise for the Danny. Yes, praise for Mr. Snyder. Uh, Yes, remember with Ron, it's almost never Dan or Danny or the Danny, as it is on this show. It is Mr. Snyder. Which, by the way, I'm fine with. I know some people were very turned off by that initially with Ron that he calls Dan Mr. Snyder. We know that's what Dan likes to be called. Ron works for Dan. Ron comes from a military family. You know, show respect to your superiors, that kind of thing. So fine. Like, I've never considered the Mr. Snyder thing to be that big of a deal. And, oh, look at Ron. He's subservient to Dan because he calls him Mr. Snyder. I think there may be a lot of buttering up with that where Ron knows Dan likes that. And so Ron, in trying to keep his friends close and enemies closer, wants to make it so that he never loses sight of where Dan is at on different things. Because we all know once you lose Dan, then you're lost and you're doomed. So Ron, in keeping this relationship with Dan Snyder healthy, calls the guy Mr. Snyder. Like, at the end of the day, to me, it's like, who cares? But anyway, here was Ron on Dan on Thursday. And this came up when Ron got asked about if the free agency moves have been what he expected to make 
when he took over the Washington football team. It, it, I, to me, it's all part of, of having taken the job. You know, one thing that I, I'm really appreciative has been the the support I've gotten from from the owner. Um, you know, when we went into this free agency, we had a plan, and we had to change some things and adapt some things. And I called and 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 explained what was happening and 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 told him this is what I wanted to do. And he said, "Hey, good luck. Go get it." Um, you know, I'm behind you. And, and that really going forward, now I sit down with, with, with Martin and Marty and I say, Hey, this is where we are. This is what, you know, what we've been given the latitude to do, you know, and, 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 and then talking with, with, with Rob Rogers about, you know, being able to structure contracts the way we've got them done. We were able to go out and get guys that we felt and we believe can help us. So I, I I'm really appreciative of the support we've gotten from, uh, from Mr. Snyder in terms of, of being able to put together, um, what we've done so far. Um, you know, we still have, again, um, about four more weeks before getting to the draft. Uh, we get to the draft, but I think we've done a good enough job to put ourselves in position that now as we look at the draft, you know, we, we're, we're not necessarily pressed to have to as much as we can do what we want to. So I'm pretty excited about that. Ron did not get asked on Thursday about Danny becoming even more of a majority owner, about Danny winning and getting to buy out the disgruntled minority owners at a discounted price with help from the NFL from a standpoint of the $450 million debt waiver. The last Ron Zoom presser included him being asked about the Beth Wilkinson investigation. Ron wanted no part of that topic at that Zoom presser, and so none of that stuff even came up. On Thursday, the praise of Danny is going to come because, again, Ron wants to keep Dan close, okay? It does Ron no good to distance himself from Danny. So praise the owner. Make him feel like he's a part of this. Make him feel like he's doing a good job and that his help is so needed and has been so valuable in the process that the team is in the midst of. But always, if you're Ron Rivera, understand, and I think he does, the owner, more than any other factor, has been what has doomed Ron's predecessors. And so what you have to do if you're Ron and you want to succeed here is you've got to make it so that that doesn't happen to you. And how do you do that? You don't do that by distancing yourself from Danny. You do that by keeping Danny close to you, keeping tabs on Danny, knowing where Danny stands on things, making Danny feel like he's a part of things, making Danny feel like, hey, he is someone whose presence is very much needed here. And so you make Danny feel like he's involved, but the, at the end of the day, you're doing as you want to do and as you see fit, and you've got your army around you, so you know if stuff ever does go down between yourself and Danny, you got your backup. you got people who will be loyal to you, who won't be, say, leaking stuff against you. But I think there's always been a strategy with the, Ray, with the way Ron has talked about Dan Snyder and with the way Ron has interacted with Dan Snyder, and I thought we got some of that. Uh, in that answer we just played for you from Ron on Thursday. And specific to what Ron got into late in that answer about now, you know, we're approaching the draft and we've done a good enough job to put ourselves in a position to where, you know, you're not pressed to have to deal with various things. Remember, Ron and his staff did their best work in free agency last offseason with second and third tier guys, right? Those low level bargain basement contracts for the likes of Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick and Ronald Darby and Wes Schweitzer and Cornelius Lucas. So, just because Washington still isn't making big splash signings doesn't mean that Washington may not be making key signings. You know, it was interesting when Ron referenced the recently signed corner, Daryl Roberts, yesterday, talked about him as a nickel or as the nickel. Maybe they view Daryl Roberts as their primary nickel man for 2021. I mean, I still would think that would be Jimmy Moreland, but who the heck knows? 
you know, maybe Daryl Roberts a year from now, we look back upon as having been this super sneaky, shrewd signing by Washington in 2021. You just don't know. Big money doesn't always correlate with big production as we have come to know over the years in these parts. And Ron and his people killed it in the second and third waves of free agency last offseason. No reason you can't be doing that again this offseason. All right, we get back now to the very bad Thursday that was for DC Sports, and we'll talk some capitals here. So the Caps had not lost back-to-back regulation games since a four-game losing streak from February 1st to February 14th. Now, included in that stretch with the Caps, as you may recall, not playing for a week due to three consecutive games being postponed due to COVID-19 issues for the Philadelphia Flyers and Buffalo Sabres. But the point is, the Caps had not lost two straight regulation games since mid-February in a month and a half. I mean, that's how well the Caps had been doing from a result standpoint. Well, Tuesday night, the Caps fell at the New York Rangers 5-2. And on Thursday night, the Caps got shredded at the New York Islanders 8-4. Caps fall to 23-9-4 on the year. The Caps, Islanders, and Pittsburgh Penguins now all tied atop the East Division at 50 points. The Pens on Thursday night winning their fifth consecutive game 4-1 at the Boston Bruins. The Caps head coach Peter Laviolette put it bluntly but accurately during his virtual postgame press conference late on Thursday night, quote, I don't think we played hard enough to win a hockey game tonight. Uh, no, you did not. No, you did not. And remember, the Caps had beaten O'Berry Trotsy and his Islanders back on March 16th. 3-1 was the final. That was a big game at the time. The Caps came through. The Islanders got their revenge and then some on Thursday night in what was a big game from an East Division standpoint. The Caps gave up eight goals on Thursday night. Gave up eight goals in a game for the first time since an 8-5 loss at the Chicago Blackhawks on January 20th, 2019. It had been more than two years since the Caps gave up eight goals until Thursday night. Caps gave up four goals in the first period, two goals in the second period, and two goals in the third period. And all eight Islanders goals were even strength goals. You know, Caps actually went two and two on the penalty kill. Everything that was done by the Islanders was done at even strength, and nothing was worse than what was done by the Islanders' stud center, Matthew Barzell. Three goals and two assists, and how about his unassisted goal? An unassisted even strength goal, 16-09 into the first period for a 2-1 Islanders lead. Barzell did it all by his lonesome, took the puck from behind the Islanders' net, blew past Tom Wilson along the left boards in the Caps offensive zone, skated through Nicholas Backstrom and defenseman Zdeno Chara while skating into the Caps defensive zone, and then got off a wrister to beat Vitek Vanacek while Barzell was leaning to his right with his right skate barely in the right circle and his left skate like dangling above the slot while being defended by defenseman Brendan Dillon. It was a clinic that Barzell put on on that unassisted goal. And again, the guy finished with a hat trick to go with a couple of assists. What's interesting about this game from a team standpoint, so the Caps actually did not get smashed in the puck possession battle. Caps for natural stat trick only lost the puck possession battle by a bit, uh, finished with 43 five-on-five shot attempts to the Islanders 45. But here's what stood out by far the most. This is the kind of thing that just slapped you across the face. The Caps per natural stat trick had three high danger five-on-five shot attempts the entire game. The Islanders had 17. This was a classic case, not of quantity, but of quality. I mean, how about that discrepancy? 
Caps for the game at five on five, three high danger shot attempts. The Islanders 17. The Islanders more than quintupled you in the high danger shot attempt battle on Thursday night. That was brutal, man. I mean, that, that is the kind of thing that should never happen. And yet it happened. You know, we talked about this with the Caps, how the record is great, but a lot of the process stuff isn't. And a lot of that sort of came home to roost for the Caps on Thursday night. Now, I mentioned Vanacek getting scorched by Barzell on that unassisted goal. The Caps were a total mess from a goaltending standpoint on Thursday night. Ilya Samsonov started the game. He was the Caps starting goaltender for a ninth time in 16 games, but he left the game after just 30 seconds. Uh, he got taken out by an accidental hit by TJ Oshie. Friendly fire. I'm still not understanding what happened here, but Oshie, for whatever reason, collided with Samsonov behind the Caps net. Uh, Oshie's left shoulder rammed into Samsonov's head. Samsonov's replacement was Vanacek, and Vanacek stopped just seven of the nine shots on goal that he faced in the first period. He then got pulled. Samsonov then got put back into the game, and he stopped just two of the four shots on goal that he faced in the first period. Caps goaltenders in that first period stopped just nine of 13 shots on goal. Samsonov played the rest of the game, finished with a brutal 18 saves on 24 shots on goal, gave up six goals on just 24 shots on goal, and Samsonov, per natural stat trick, stopping just eight of the 13 high-danger shots on goal that he faced. I mean, yes, the Caps goaltenders got bombarded with high-danger shots on Thursday night, but still, can you do better than giving up eight? I mean, geez, uh, can, can you make it maybe a four spot? Does it have to be eight like it ended up being? That was not good. Uh, John Carlson did have two even-strand goals for the Caps, but that was a brutal performance. There's no other way to say it. Uh, Caps are at the New Jersey Devils Friday night at 7, then at the Devils again Sunday afternoon at 3. And then, oh, by the way, Caps are back at the Islanders Tuesday night at 7. Well, I, on this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, have saved for you the best for last. And by best for last, I mean worst for last. The Wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, our Wizards falling to 17-30 and 30 with a 120-91 loss at the Detroit Pistons on Thursday night. The same Detroit Pistons who are the worst team in the Eastern Conference. That team blew out the Wizards by 29 points on Thursday night. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, thank you, Stephen A. Now look, the Wizards do remain depleted. Bradley Beal missed the third consecutive game due to a right hip contusion. Davies Bertans missed a seventh consecutive game due to a right calf strain. Daniel Gafford missed a second consecutive game due to a sprained right ankle. The Wizards, of course, remain without Thomas Bryant due to that partially torn left ACL that he suffered on January 9th. And for what it's, whatever it's worth, remain without Ish Smith, who it was announced on February 17th would miss six to eight weeks due to a right quadriceps injury. But still, do you have to get obliterated as the Wizards got Thursday night at the lowly Pistons. I mean, even with those absences, this game was a complete and total embarrassment for the Wizards, okay? First of all, yes, Pistons are the worst team in the East, came into the game 13 and 34. 21 games below 500 were the Pistons going into that game on Thursday night. The Wizards did not hold a lead over the final three quarters. The Wizards' biggest lead was a 4 nothing lead in the first quarter. The Wizards trailed by 19 points in the second quarter, 22 points 
in the third quarter and 31 points in the fourth quarter. And then there was this, and this as much as anything crystallized this game on Thursday night. The Wizards at the free throw line, an absurd six for 19. Yeah, you heard that right. The Wizards went six for 19 on free throws on Thursday night. 31.6% free throw percentage, lowest free throw percentage in a game in Wizards slash Bullets history. Six for 19. You could shoot free throws with your eyes closed and one of your arms chopped off and you'd do better than six to 19. Six for 19 on free throws. Russell Westbrook went one of six on free throws. Denny Abdia went two of five on free throws. The Wizards were an embarrassment at the free throw line on Thursday night. Oh, by the way, the Wiz also went just five of 19 on threes. It was amazing. Six and 19 on free throws, five of 19 on threes. And oh yeah, the Wizards defense stunk again. Pistons shot 47.9% from the field, including 12 of 29 on threes. Look, I'm not going to break down every little aspect of this game. It was a complete debacle. Um, Russell Westbrook, how about this? So Russell Westbrook actually had another triple-double. Okay, that's now 18 triple-doubles for Westbrook this season, extending his franchise record. 16 points, 12 assists, 11 rebounds. But Westbrook, one of five on threes, one of six on free throws, and nine turnovers. So a classic Westbrook game where, yeah, you get the triple-double, but you're inefficient as can be. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. The Stephen A. Smith stuff this week with Westbrook and Stephen A. basically throwing shade on Westbrook saying, yeah, it's great. You got this triple-double record, but it doesn't mean anything. And, you know, you still haven't won a championship. It's so funny because, like, you know, people get caught up in the weeds on that. They're like, well, is Stephen A. right or is he wrong? And, you know, why is Westbrook being disrespected? And what's Westbrook's response and all this? Here's the bottom line. That Stephen A. Smith stuff, that made the Wizards more relevant than they've ever been this season, than they've been really over the last few years, if you think about it. And the, the Wizards should send Stephen A. Smith a thank you card for that, because otherwise they are completely off the map. Nobody cares. Nobody's invested. And, you know, that Stephen A. Smith stuff, like, okay, maybe you don't like him, but at least it puts a spotlight on your team. It puts a spotlight on Westbrook. It puts a spotlight on the fact that he is now your all-time leader in triple doubles. But yeah, like nobody can get into this team because this team does not reward you. If you're like me and you're a lifetime Wizards slash Bullets fan, this team routinely spits right in your face, okay? You want to support the team. You want to get excited about the team. The team will win some games. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right, that the Wizards defeated the NBA leading Utah Jazz. I mean, explain that to me. How is it that the same Wizards who beat the NBA-leading Utah Jazz not that long ago, March 18th, can get smashed as the Wizards got at the Pistons on Thursday night? And I know, no Beal, no Bertans, fine. That still doesn't excuse that kind of performance. Like, if you're going to lose, lose by six, okay? Don't lose by 29, as the Wizards ended up doing on Thursday night. That was an embarrassment, and I'll continue to say this. It doesn't make Scott Brooks look good at all. I I still think he is so gone at the end of this season. And I think it's possible he's gone before the end of this season. That, that, that is a performance that does not speak well for you as a coach in any way. You know, how about getting your guys to rise up and win a game like this? And instead, it's like, it's not only that you lose, but again, you lose by 29. So Wizards 17 and 30, fourth worst record in the Eastern Conference, five and a half games behind the Boston Celtics for eighth in the East. Wiz are home to the Dallas Mavericks Saturday night 
at 7. All right. Well, that'll do it for you and me uh, on this Friday. Wish we could end on a happier topic, but uh, such is life when you are a Wizards fan. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you on Monday. The damn Washington Wizards. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.